0: You just a few uh, bumps on announcements. We're a reminder that everything you need to know about what's happening on Sundays is on the flyer that we hand out each week. So I'm just going to highlight a couple things that you may not be aware of that we're doing. Uh, one is that we'll be doing two choirs in the month of December. Uh, one will take place on uh, Christmas Eve and one will be the Sunday morning before that. So here's what we've done. If you're interested in singing in an adult choir, we're going to be joining uh, forces with the Hoving Home Choir, which is going to be a lot of fun. So, it's starting next Sunday morning after the service. You'll just stay for about a half hour practice each week. And we're just going to work on one song, and that will just allow us to join our voices together with the Walter Hoving Home Choir, which I think will be just a really wonderful and exciting event for us as the church family praising God together with the ministry that we are very involved with and serving. And then there's information on the back of that sheet for the children's choir. So make sure if you have children that would like to participate in that you uh, get get involved with that data that's on the back. The other thing we want to highlight is our Samaritan's Purse ministry, which is boxes that we, as a church family, we take them home, we fill them up, and then we bring them, and then we collect them. And you'll see a pyramid starting to form right between those two doors. That's all the boxes that have been filled, and they'll be sent out. I have the date from Rita, November 19th. So you have two weeks to go to get those boxes and get them collected. Okay, so here's one very unique announcement that we have for the month of December. Uh, we're going to be showing the movie that's called i heard the bells it was uh, produced by sight and sound in lancaster pennsylvania the main actor in that movie the gentleman that played henry wadsworth longfellow is going to be coming and speaking to us prior to the showing of the movie So that'll be a a very special event. The reason we're having that happen is because Doug teaches with him at Lancaster Bible College. So that'll be an exciting event. So just start watching for details about that. We'd love to see a full house. Great. The movie is wonderful in terms of the way that it presents the gospel of Christ. Incredibly powerful movie. So we're looking forward to that event and want you to be uh, thinking who you might invite and also to ask you to be in prayer for that event. Okay, I think that's everything I have. I'm going to ask Pastor James to announce uh, a ministry that he's doing on November uh, November 18th on Saturday morning. A really, really good seminar that I hope you can uh, participate in. So I'm going to ask James to make that announcement when he comes up to preach. Would you stand with me this morning for prayer? So Philippians 1.6 says this. It says, be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God and the God of all peace shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know in my own, in my own heart with everything that's happening in the world with the the, the items related to the nation of Israel with the, there's a number of things that can kind of wake you up and capture your heart and cause fear. Okay, and cause confusion spiritually. So I want you to remember that verse. Uh, in everything with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God, and the God of all peace shall comfort your heart in Christ Jesus. So I want to just encourage you with that verse this morning as we pray together. Father, thank you so much for this church family. It, uh, it does my heart good to stand here and look out and see faces of people that I... I've known for a long time brothers and sisters in christ and knowing that we're living this life together for your glory lord we're striving sometimes we we have fits and starts in our walk Uh, lord sometimes we're enjoying a a bright moment and sometimes we're in the midst of a difficult moment that people are people around us may not even know fully and clearly so god I, i i pray for those needs represented in this community of faith Uh, Lord, for marriages that are broken and hurting, that need restoration and healing, God, we pray that you will assist and help and help us as church family members to reach out and to assist and to help and to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I pray for the country that we live in, Lord. I pray that you would give wisdom to our leaders in regards to all the things that are happening, the abundant areas of concern for the nation of Israel and all that's going on. God, I just, I pray for peace. God, I pray for the protection of innocent lives. And I pray for your plans and purposes to be fulfilled. Uh, God, as we gather for worship this morning, we are mindful of folks within our own family here that have been struggling a long time. I think particularly of Diana, I think of Linda, I think of uh, Ana Belen Zeppi, I think of just people that are going through difficult seasons and need a touch from your hand physically. God, you, you are the, our healer, ultimately. And so we lay those folks before you. We bring them before you. And we just in our, in our, hearts, uh, in our hearts eye, we, we, we extend our hands and ask that your blessing would rest upon them and that protection of their lives and that healing would come from you. We trust you to do that, Lord. Minister to our hearts as we sing your praises, God. This is such a, a beautiful opportunity that we have to join our voices together in songs of praise. And Lord, as we sing, I pray that you would minister to our hearts by the work of your spirit to affirm truth for us as your children this morning, that would allow us to not be anxious for anything, but to rest in the greatness and glory of your power, most clearly made known at the cross of Christ. Bless us this morning as we sing, and then as we listen to your word, God, change us. Change us, I pray. By the work of your spirit, we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship him together.
1: parted the raging my God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. to the God who heals, we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who always makes a way. Cause He hung up on that cross, then He rose up from that grave, my God still rose His away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. Shout out your praise There's joy in the house of the Lord Our God is surely in this place And we won't be quiet We shout out your praise We were the beggars Now we're royalty We were the bring- Oh, uh-huh. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace, and the house of us. Accepted, redeemed by his grace. Stole my condition And a plan from this You're son for redemption the price for my heart And I don't have a context For that kind of love I don't understand can't comprehend, all I know is I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, No reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, oh, again and again and again rush, deep in my chest, your mercy is calling out, just as I am, you pull me in, and I know I need you now, I run to the Father, fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait, my heart needs a surgeon soul needs a friend so i run to the father again and again i run to the father i fall into grace i'm done with the hiding the reason to wait my heart found the surgeon my soul found a friend so i run to the father again and again and again and again i Quiere... you. Mm-hmm. In him be found, dressed in his right, alone, fallest stand before the throne, Christ alone, corner stone.
2: said our hearts need a surgeon and our souls need a friend, need friends, but most of all they need the surgeon and they need the ultimate friend. Oh Lord, in Psalm 25:14, you promised us that if we abide in you, Lord, our souls would receive peace and that if we obeyed your commands and followed you, Lord, that you would be our friends, and we would be your friends, Lord. You would be our friend forever in your name. And for those who are called by your name and are humble this day, Lord, and are willing to obey you, recognize, that we are justified by faith alone and not by our own works and that you died on the cross for us even while we are yet sinners and if we would read your scriptures that you've given to us as your direct word as you have in genesis and if we would pray about that and if we would seek your face lord and if we would meditate on what you did for us on the cross and how you looked upon us, even while we are still in our sin state, still mocking you, etc., but you showed us an unwarranted love that would never quit and defines the meaning of love. Lord, that our hearts would be circumscribed and you would write your law on our hearts, such that we would be delighted in it day and night, and that you would indeed be our friends. No other religion has this, Lord. Everybody else thinks that's madness that we could be friends with you, Lord. But you yourself have promised us to us if we would be obedient and hear your commands and humble ourselves this day and love you with all of our hearts as much as we can by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things now in Jesus' name that you would give us these abilities and you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this day. Amen. Okay. So we interrupt this service for a special bulletin. Would I have the uh, elders come up here, please? all up in the stage, you don't get out of this. (laughs) And I would like to have all of the pastors and the pastor's wives, if they don't think they're already up here, come on up here. Pastor's wives, you don't get out of it either, okay, most of all. Now this is pretty simple, folks. It's only one word. Can you all stand up and say it at unison? Ready? Stand up. Thank you, pastors and your wives. Thank you, okay? <laughs> Thank you. All right And' it's a you may be seated now as a special token of our appreciation i think each of the pastors has for a particular pastor wife set a gift to show our appreciation so i think donny or excuse me doug and sherry all right let me just say one prayer lord We just thank you so much that you've given us these pastors, these teachers, and their wonderful wives to bless this church and lead this church in your name. And we are just so thankful for that, Lord, that you have provided for us as you promised us. You've built this church on the word that you've given to them, and through that word, you have helped us through our own lives and through the lives of others in this community every single day. We thank you for these servants, these faithful servants that you've given to us now. And we ask that you would bless each and every one of them as they go their way today. And we ask that you would watch out over them and you would make their word be fruitful in the lives of all of us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Okay, now, not last but least, or anything like that, um, we have the Word to read. So I'll go back to Genesis 3, all the way through. This is the English version, English Standard Version. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made, Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, it, lest you die." The Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." To the woman he said, "I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you." And to And live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God. Blessed be the word.
3: Children. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Children's church, yes. Uh, Children's, you could be dismissed for junior church. <sighs> oh, so I, I guess I'm supposed to tell you about um, November 18th. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, just speaking with some of you, if hopefully many of you will come. Uh, it is a three-hour workshop Uh, I spend a lot of time teaching people how they go about the process of lasting change in their lives. So um, we also spend time talking to people about relational wisdom, how they can get upstream of conflict and try to live relationships that are gonna be beneficial and fruitful, not only in marriages, not only in families, but also in churches and at work and then also dealing with conflict. So we have three sessions. One is gonna talk about how we go through the process of change. Second is gonna talk about relational wisdom and then third is going to talk about um, how we deal with conflict. So that is Saturday, uh, November 18th and it will be from about nine o'clock till noon and we'll give a Q&A session as well and it is free. So I'd love it to, if you would come and if you know anybody that would benefit from it, we would love to have you there as well. Well, the reason why you have to have uh, a workshop like that is because we struggle with change and we struggle with relationships and we struggle with burdens. And all of that is a byproduct of what we are going to be studying, Lord willing, over the next two weeks from Genesis chapter 3. Now... My fellow brothers got a chance to preach to you over the last four weeks um, beautiful passages from Genesis 1 and 2 and taking it throughout scripture of how God created and how he led um, this world, how he created this world out of nothing. God spoke this world into existence and all the beauty that was there in the garden. The garden was beautiful in the fact of, uh, and the world was beautiful, the universe was beautiful before Genesis chapter 3. And what we have is this uh, beauty of creation. The highest of creation is humanity. Humanity has been created as the highest and we, we get to represent him and we have his image stamped in our hearts and in our lives. Every single one of us have that image stamped in us and, and such a beautiful thing. And in the last two weeks we got the beauty of marriage and how God uh, was not only the officiant at the marriage ceremony because he brought these two people together, he was also the father that brought but the bride to uh, to Adam, and so he played both roles as the father, bringing the bride to the uh, to the groom, and then he also officiated that first wedding ceremony and all the beauty that is there and in the end of, end of Genesis chapter two, we say we see that they were naked and not ashamed and, and this this relationship where there was complete ultimate um, openness, uh, complete vulnerability with one another, and there was nothing to fear in that relationship. Uh, Genesis three starts off with a very interesting phrase. It says, now. And it talks about a serpent. Now, I I should say that as we look at this passage of scripture, there are probably some of you that have heard the story of Adam and Eve and you think of it as just an allegory or figurative. And a lot of people in this world tend to think that way. They tend to think of it just as a story. It's a fable. It's not true. But I will say this that if you look in the New Testament, Jesus Christ spoke as though this was true. Uh, Jesus Christ, when he talks about marriage, he takes the principles that are driven right out of Genesis chapter 2. That when God joins them together, no one should separate them. And he talks principles right here from Genesis 1, so Jesus, when he's talking about Adam and Eve, he talks about them literally. Uh, When we hear Paul write, and Paul will write, and we'll spend some time over the next two weeks in Romans chapter 5, and he will speak of a literal Adam, and that all of us have fallen in this literal Adam. So when Paul speaks and when Jesus speaks, they speak as though this is true, and the passage that actually we just worked through in Jude, if you remember in Jude, there was a passage of Enoch the seventh of, you remember who it was? Of Adam. So multiple New Testament books speak of this Adam and Eve and speak of them as literal, historic people. And so I, I want you to keep that in mind. This is not just a fable, this is not just an allegory, this is truth. And so this is so important for us to, to keep in mind. Now, I want you to think about all of the struggles that we have in this world, all the difficulties, all the pain, all the troubles, all the suffering, all the trials that you have in this life, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, whatever the struggle may be that you are going through privately that maybe no one else knows except for you and God, it is a byproduct of what happened post Genesis 3. I should tell you this one thing that when God created us, Genesis 1, and then the expansion of it in Genesis 2, when God created us, He created us dependent. Every single one of us has been dependent, has been under under the dependency of God. God started by saying in Genesis one, God created the heavens and the earth. So everything under that is subordinate to God. So that's important to keep in mind that every single one of us is dependent. Second, you will find that we were dependent upon counsel. We needed to be counseled. We needed to be told what to do. Jesus, uh, God told us, be fruitful and multiply. He, he talked about ruling over the world, and then he also gave a command, do not eat from this tree. You can have everything in this world, and you cannot have this tree, this fruit from this tree. So, so they needed to be counseled. So God created us dependent. God created us dependent upon counsel, and that we will be molded and shaped and changed by the counsel that we listen to. Keep that in mind. So so whoever, I say this before, whoever has your ear has your mind. Whoever has your mind can affect your heart, and whoever affects your heart can influence your life. And so, so Genesis 1 and 2, everything's good because they are dependent creatures, they're dependent upon the counsel of God, they're following the counsel of God, and they're being molded and shaped and changed into the image of God. Genesis 3 changes because there's a new counselor that comes in. And these dependent creatures start to listen to a new counselor. And now they're gonna be molded and shaped and changed by that counselor. And that counselor's radically different than God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's look here. I call this the deception in Eden. So it's, it's deception. And Satan's doubts the doubts that he's going to sow, he's going to sow seeds of doubt here. What he's trying to do is trying to create some level of doubt, and that's going to lead to humanity's downfall. Our two parents, our four parents, are going to now plunge us. Adam ultimately is going to plunge us into the downfall that we have, and it's not just a downfall horizontally with humanity, it's a downfall even with the earth and, and relationships. Let's start with this in Genesis three, verse one. It says this, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. It's interesting, and I wanna start with this idea of perversion. There was a perversion that happens. It's, It's this crafty deception that happens. And Satan is described as crafty, craftier than all of the other beasts in the field. Now, and Doug's gonna know this better, uh, there's a Hebrew word and that Hebrew word talks about craft, it comes out as crafty. But there's a word play that seems to be happening here because just between the end of Hebrew, um, Genesis 2 where it talks about they were naked and that word play that connects to this craftiness, similar words in Hebrew and they're flipping it. What What he's saying is this, is that this, This vulnerability between humanity is there, but now this person that comes in and sneaks in and is trying to create something different. Men and women were naked, and they were absolutely innocent, and the serpent is crafty, deceptive, and dangerous. And, And it's interesting that he's going to use a threefold strategy to try to downplay them, to destroy them. And it's the same threefold strategy that he uses with you and me. The first strategy is he wants to sow seeds of doubt. He wants you to doubt the word of God. Watch what he says here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say? It's interesting that Satan's seemingly innocent question, did God really say this? And it's an innocent question, you think, right? But sometimes you can ask a question and there's a motive that's behind it. You're trying to lead a person in a certain way, and that's clearly what Satan is trying to do here. He's, this tactic is he's questioning the generosity of God. He says, did God say that you shall not eat of any tree that's in the garden And so he's saying, you shall not eat of any tree that's in the garden. That's not what God said. God says you can have the abundance of the trees in the garden. He says you just can't have this one tree. But, But Satan has turned it in such a way that it makes it sound as though God is not a generous God, not a great God. And it implies that we, in essence, should be judging God's word and questioning God's word when we are clearly not supposed to do that. Look here what it says in Genesis 3-2. It says, and the woman said to the servant. Now, I want you to see how, how she distorted his word. I hadn't caught this. I had always caught this last point, which we would get to, but this week, spending time looking at this passage, she distorted his word in a number of ways. Um, so, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, Lest you die. Well, she once again is understating God's generosity. God has one person given the illustration that God has given you an ocean's worth of blessing, and he said, This little Dixie cup, if you remember Dixie cups, on the shore, you can't have that Dixie cup, but I'm giving you an ocean. And that's in essence what God has given you. The generosity of God, He's saying, I'm giving you all of this. You just can't have this. But she underplays his generosity, she understates it. She makes it sound as though something is there. And the original in Genesis 2.16, turn back there with me for a second. In Genesis 2.16, you may not even have to flip a page. It says that, and the Lord God commanded who? The man saying that you you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Okay, so she is now making it sound as though, he's saying, God says you can have everything, and she's making it sound as though, eh, you know, it's really not as much. And in essence, I was thinking about this, this probably shows a level of ingratitude. And Paul in Romans said that part of our sin issue is that we fail to glorify God and fail to be grateful to him. And if we can think about all the blessings that God has given us in this world, and we we find ourselves focusing on that Dixie cup, we could find ourselves being ungrateful for all the blessings he's given us. We focus on that thing that I desperately need, I think, rather than focusing on all the things that God has given us. Well, that's our humanity's problem. And so then she adds, neither shall you touch it. Not only is she minimizing the generosity of God, but then she adds this neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. And so I wonder if that's not a form of adding to God's law, which humanity has had the tendency to do from the beginning of time. Legalism is there. We make these rules, our man-centered rules. In fact, God gave 10 commandments, but then it got up to 613 of them in the Old Testament. I, I wonder if at times we have a tendency to add our own laws to God when God says, here's the standard. So he starts by trying to get her to doubt the word of God. And really, honestly, that is all of us. When Jesus was tempted, you remember, God says, this is my beloved son. And then Satan's very first word to Jesus, if you remember in Matthew 4, his very first word to Jesus says, if you are the son of God. So he's questioning God's word. He's getting us, he wants to sow seeds of doubt. Well, the second thing he does is he wants to sow uh, seeds of doubt of God's authority, not only of his word, but his authority. Watch what it says in verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Direct contradiction of what God said. God said, in that day, you will surely die. He says, you will not surely die. And the reality is, is that all of us struggle with humanity and with sin. And when we struggle with sin, we are questioning God's word. And we actually question whether God is going to fulfill what he says he will fulfill. We don't really believe God's authority. See, God has created us dependent, dependent upon him and that we will be molded and shaped by him. But when we don't follow his word, when we're not following independence, we're not following his counsel, we don't really believe that he's going to follow through on what he says. And very, very honestly, I don't think most of us believe in an eternal hell. We just don't. We look at the beauty of this world, as beautiful as it seems from our viewpoint, And we don't really think about that person that will take their last breath and go to an eternity in hell. We do not consider it because we do not count his consequences. So he wants to sow seeds of doubt of God's word. He wants to sow seeds of doubt of God's authority. The third thing he wants to do is sow seeds of doubt of God's goodness. Look here in verse five. It says, for God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. See, Eve, it's not bad enough that you can't really trust God's word. It's not bad enough that God is really yelling and screaming, but he doesn't really mean what he says. No, it's, guess what? God is holding out on you, Eve that this is, this is such a blessing. This will make you so happy. This will give you peace, hope, and joy in your life. You desperately need it. And when you are like God, see God has that, but he's holding it out for just himself. That's what sin does. Sin questions God's words. Sin questions God's authority, but sin questions God's character, his goodness. And it's exactly what Eve is being tempted right now. And, and if you notice, Satan started with levels of distortion, just a couple of questions in distortion, now it's outright denial. He has now moved to denial. He says, it will not happen, though God says it will happen. That's what happens with temptation. Temptation is is really subtle, and temptation starts with the contradicting of God's word. It's the subtle level of distrust, denial, ultimately disobedience. It's going to follow that pattern in our lives. It's the age-old problem that you and I have with the issue of truth and the issue of trust. What is truth? Somebody brought that up in our Bible study this morning. What is truth? And I really like this quote by R.C. Sproul. It goes, truth is uh, reality as God sees it. It's a really great, i mean, a boiled down truth, of course. That's what R.C. could do. He could boil down these big things and bring it down to something that stupid me can understand. It's reality as God sees it. That's truth. And then trust. Trust is a huge issue. It comes down to do you trust God? And the doubts that he is sowing, it is questioning her doubt from God. And the fall has already started here. It's already started to occur because these things are happening inside her heart. The fall doesn't happen when she eats the fruit. The fall is it's confirmed when she eats the fruit. The things are already happening in life. She's misrepresenting God's commands. This woman in this conversation, she misquotes God's word, then she, this, it's a slight alteration, but even that slight alteration is not truly God's word. It diminishes God's glory. And when she alters the possibility, she takes the certainty of God's judgment and makes it a possibility she is offending God. And she's creating problems so sowing seeds of doubt that's what satan was looking to do he was sowing seeds of doubt in her heart in her life and what was happening was this she was dis- she was displaying romans chapter 3 verse 18 romans 3:18 is there is no fear of god before their eyes she, she's representing, I don't fear you, God. I can question your word. I can question your character. I can question your authority. I can even add to your word. She has no fear. And that's what sin is. Sin for all of us is the fact that we fail to have fear of God. You know, God created all of us as worshipers. Uh, Paul Tripp talks about the fact that all of us are worshipers. And and a lot of us tend to focus on the fact that it's like these four or five major events in our lives. It's not really four or five major events. It's, it's minuscule event versus minuscule event versus minuscule event, the smallest event. Just the thought, just the distraction just the addition, that small little thing has now become a major thing in life because that is what we are. We are born to be worshipers. God has created every single one of you to worship Him. And when you get distracted from the worship of Him, you will add something else to the piece of puzzle. Something else will take over in your life and that's what happened with Eve. Eve has gotten distracted and now she's gotten deceived. And she's now this, down this path where she is going to fall to destruction. Well, now, he moves to this motivation. Now, he talks about the fact that you will be like God. Very honestly, if we're being honest, if we're looking in the mirror, all of us kind of want to be like God, right? We want to make the rules we want people to serve us the distortion of who god is in our minds that is what we want right we want we want people to serve us we want people to bow to us we want people to do the things for us that is the distortion of who god is that's not really who god is because god is an amazing gift gracious god but this temptation to be autonomous rules and attacks genesis 1 1. it attacks the fact that you are dependent people You wanna be autonomous, so do I. And that autonomy, that rule making, that leadership is really at the heart of this thing and it's questions God's goodness. So this perfect storm has happened. The distortion of God's commands, the allurement of this forbidden power, the doubt cast upon God's word and his character, it is a perfect storm for sin. So we move from perversion to pretense. In verse 6, the pretense, the human response. So we move from that perversion to pretense. It says in verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You'll see this repeated pattern. Uh, once again, I don't know if you're opposed to this, but there's these three words, saw, desire, or my version says coveted, and took. Okay, saw, coveted, and took. This, this pattern is a pattern of sin in life. Um, we see something, we desire it in our hearts, and then we take it. Well, the same three patterns had been there multiple times in scripture. In Achan, in Joshua chapter 7, they, they went into Jericho, and God says, do not take any of the spoils of Jericho. And what did Achan do? Achan went in, and he saw the spoils. He saw it. He desired it, and he took it. crazy thing about it is he took it, and it hid in his, in his tent. I mean, he couldn't even do anything with it. It's hidden in his tent. And then it ended at the destruction of his whole family. Or David, in 2 in Samuel, you remember, he saw Bathsheba, he coveted her, he desired her in his heart, and he took her. And that pattern is true for you and for me as well as in throughout scripture. We see things and what you put your mind on, your eyes on is so important. And what you think about deep in your heart is so important because if you are not careful, you will end up acting out and committing sin because you're following and looking at the wrong things. So they were distrusting God's word. She's evaluating this fruit and she's evaluating the fruit outside of God's command, outside of God's goodness, outside of God's authority. She's looking at that fruit and it says that she sees this and she sees that it's good. I think it was almost seven times in the first chapter and when Pastor Doug was preaching, it was, it was good, 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 over and over and over again. In fact, when he created humanity, it was very good. It, it, it's good, 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 good. And what he said was bad was, do not eat from that fruit of the tree. But what, what she is now in pretense, her human response, is she's looking at what God says no to, she says yes. And so she, she sees what is good, but God says is not. And she says that this food and God says, "I've given you everything. I'm not giving that for you for food." She sees this as a nutritional value. She sees it as a moral value. She sees it as passionate. She says, "This is going to make me happy." And then she looks at it intellectually. She says, "Hey, this is going to really make me wise." But isn't, isn't that sin? We look at something, we think it's gonna make us feel good, we think it's gonna make us wise, we think it's gonna advance us, and it doesn't. It's distressing God's word, it's shifting from God's evaluation to human judgment, and it is at the heart of all sin. So the serpent tries to convince the man and the woman to distrust God's relevance of his word. He tries to get them to be autonomous rather than submitting to God's authority. And he is even echoing creation in a perverted way by saying good when God says it's not. I find it interesting though here about Adam's role. I don't wanna surmise any more than what the passage says. The end of verse six, it says to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I think I have told you, I, I had always had in my mind that Adam was out in the garden doing something and Satan had come to Eve alone. Maybe it was, maybe Adam just has come onto the scene now, but whatever it is, he is now on the scene when she is ready to go and grab this fruit and he does what? Nothing. And in fact, when God gave the commandment in Genesis two, he gave it to who? Remember I said to the man, he gave it to Adam. Eve wasn't even created at the point. That doesn't make Eve less culpable. Well, it doesn't make her in not culpable. She's culpable because she knew what God's law was. She f- chose not to follow it. But it <laughs> makes him even more so because he was the one that received the commandment. He was set up as the authority Theologians call that the federal head. He is our leader, and whatever he did, it transcends down to all of us. And his role as the watchman of the garden, his role as a protector of his wife, his role as a person who's speaking truth, he has abandoned that role in passivity. So the perversion, the Satan's craftiness, the... Pretense, the human response leads to the third thing I want you to consider, panic. The consequences of disobedience. In verse seven, it says this, then the eyes of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves long cloths. Now does that mean that they, he didn't know that she was naked and she didn't know that he was naked? That's not, that's not what's happening here. There's something that happens with this nakedness that is different than the nakedness before. I I talked to you about the fact that they were naked and not ashamed. There was a level of vulnerability. There was a security that they had with one another. They didn't have to be separated. I didn't have to fear you. I could be naked before you in every way and I don't have to fear, but that all of a sudden changed as soon as they ate the fruit. I should say this. some people think it's an apple. Have you ever heard that it's the reason why men have an app Adam's apple is because we ate the apple and it got stuck in our throat? <laughs> 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 they come up with some ridiculous things, right? <laughs> Nobody knows whether it was an apple or not. It was a fruit. Um, I like apples, I don't know if I would give up my life for an apple, maybe a steak, Um, I'm kidding, Um, but the nakedness that they had post-disobedience was now filled with shame. The emotional, the psychological transformation that had occurred. I am absolutely secure with you, God, and with my spouse has now turned. I am turning my back on my spouse. And the shame that they felt, because the natural instinct for humanity when you feel shame is to do what? Is to cover up, that's the natural instinct. And that's what they did, they, they sewed these fig leaves. And they thought that if I can cover up some private parts, that will make me less vulnerable. It's a lie. Because the insecurity is happening from within, it's not from outside. And so this sewing of fig leaves reflects our natural human response to try to cover something up. And rather than confessing the wrong, rather than going immediately to God, God, I failed, what do we do? We try to hide it. And they tried to hide from each other with shame. The second form of panic that occurred was fear. So shame they tried to cover up, then fear in verse eight, it says, then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and the man, I wonder what that cool of the day is. I never actually went into that. It's interesting. The man said to his wife, uh, the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So once again, they have distorted who God is. They distorted his word. They distorted his character. They've distorted his authority. They've distorted the fact that this is an omnipresent, omniscient God. He knows everything, and he's everywhere present. And they're hiding behind that little tree over there, trying to hide, and they think that they, did he see us, did he see us? But isn't that what we do with panic? When we're ashamed, we try to cover it up, and when we're afraid, we run and hide. I would say that I I wouldn't have a counseling practice if it weren't for those first two things. (laughs) Shame. The vast majority of people that sit in my office struggle with shame and a vast majority of my office struggle with fear. What I love about this is the next one. Yeah, there's perversion, there's pretense, there's panic, but there is pursuit. I love this about God. In Genesis 3, 9 through 11, God pursues Adam. He says, but the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? It's kind of like when the kids were small and you know it's like playing hide and go seek you know they're right there it's like where are you it's like we're here (laughs) but there's something deeply theological about this we don't run to god none of us do god runs towards us god pursued adam and eve but specifically adam and it wasn't that eve was in is invaluable in God's eyes, infinitely valuable. He stamped his image in her. He breathed life into her. He, 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 she is, he'll, she'll send, he'll send his son to die for her. Eve is infinitely valuable in his eyes. But Adam is set up as the leader, the federal head. Adam, where are you? I love the fact that God pursues, but then God prods. Adam said this in verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So Adam is giving some level of confession, not deeply, but enough, Uh, not enough, I should say. But not only does God pursue, God prods. He doesn't stop there. He says, who told you you were naked? Now, once again, this all knowing God knows how they got naked or how they see this, but he's, he's pursuing them. He's prodding Adam, who told you? And then he probes even deeper. And he probes, he says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to? He is pursuing him, he's prodding him, but he is probing. Adam, confess! So important. Then moves us to our next selection, section, projection. Blame. So, Adam and Eve felt shame, which they covered up, fear, they ran and hid, and then this last one, guilt. The burden of the wrong. They knew that they had done wrong. And it says in verse 12, then the woman, the man said, the woman ate the fruit, and when she ate the fruit, I knew it was wrong, and I knew your word says she was gonna die. God, do me a favor, please. Let me bear your wrath for my wife's sin. Let me die, let her live. I will bear your wrath for her sin. Let me sacrifice my life for you, for her. That's what he said, right? No. He went horizontal and then he went vertical. The woman, which you gave to me. So he's throwing everything. He's throwing everything against the wall. He's throwing, it's the woman, and then it's even you, God. Well, you know. And so he's directly attacking her, her, and he's, I guess, indirectly attacking God, but it's still an attack. And then then God looks to the woman, and the woman doesn't really do much better. She says, well, the serpent deceived me. That is true. But once again, she didn't say that I lacked trust in you, God. I didn't fulfill your word. I didn't trust your character. So neither one of them were owning it. And it's our society today. Our society struggles with taking personal responsibility. Somebody shoots up a place, and immediately we have to go back to what kind of parents do they have? What kind of diagnosis do they have? We have to go through all of these things because we do not want to hold a person responsible today. Carl Menninger um, back in the 60s, wrote a book, Whatever Became a Sin. He was, a, he was a, not a Christian. He was a psychiatrist. And he says, whatever became of sin. Powerful book, because they, in the 60s, he saw people were just immediately shifting blame and responsibility to everything. And now it's 60 years later, and guess what we're doing? We do it even more so. And Adam, one finger out, he didn't realize three fingers were pointing back. When he did that, he marred his relationship with God. He lost his, he's hindering his relationship with his wife. He has lost Eden's purity. Sin is interesting because sin has consequences. Sin disturbs every relationship. Sin affects your relationship with God Sin reflect, affects your relationship with nature. Sin affects your relationship with humanity. Everything of it. Sin attacks every single person at birth. It degrades, it debases, it destroys. It's like this cancer that just doesn't stop. Uh, what was the name of the book? It's not the way it's supposed to be and I can't remember the author, but He used the idea of sin being like a parasite and like a malignancy. And those are two, it just sucks life and it just spreads. That's what happens. Sin's makeup is deep. It's deceptive. It's destructive. But sin is intentional. But sin is ultimately irrational. You had the blessing of Eden and you've given it up. Every single one of us do that. So what do we do? Because sin puts us as a huge consequence in our lives. We are under guilt. We are under God's punishment. And we are going to be separated from him. What in the world can we do? We have nothing we can do to fix this. Adam and Eve were sitting there. And next week we will learn about the curse that God is going to lay upon Satan. And then Adam and Eve, this curse. One, two, three. And then he gives a great promise the huge blessing that before this world was ever created, before you ever fell, Adam, I knew you were gonna do it and that God had already planned what we were gonna do to rescue you. Sin is deep, sin is deceptive, sin is destructive. So I don't know if you're sitting here today and you're feeling great guilt because you're just overwhelmed with guilt in your life. Maybe you're burdened with sin Maybe you know it. It's like, I know. I've been doubting God's word. I've been doubting God's goodness. I've been doubting God's authority. I've been seeing things I should not see. I've been desiring them. I've been taking them. And I feel just great levels of shame. And I try to cover up that shame with a ton of different things. Or maybe I am feeling great fear in my life. I'm just dominated with fear. And I just want to run and hide in a void. Or maybe you're sitting here knowing you feel guilt. And you have this natural tendency to go horizontal but, or also vertical. If you're struggling with, with that, I want you to know the, the great prelude here. I, I want you to see right from the garden that God is saying, I got this. Where sin is great, God's grace is even greater. God, God already has a plan to deal with your guilt, your punishment, and your corruption. His, his plan is justification. I'm going to send one who's going to keep my law perfectly. For your punishment, I'm going to adopt you into my family. You're going to become part of my family. No longer separated. And for the corruption that you have, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to create something new because of my son. And the unrighteousness now becomes righteousness. The lack of goodness now becomes goodness. The holiness, the unholiness that's there in your life. I want to make you holy. I'm going to give you a position of holiness, and then I'm going to help you practically become holy. Eden has been lost, but Eden can be regained. Pastor Dog, I think, took us to, in in, uh, Revelation, the last book, another tree. Hope, joy, peace, because of one, the precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it's perversion, crafty, whether it's pretense, your human reasoning, whether it's panic that you're feeling, whether it's the fact that you are not realizing God's pursuing you because you are finding yourself blaming other people. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. There is one that wants to rescue you, Christ. Today, I pray is the day that you would look unlike Adam and say that I was wrong and turn to him. You know, when I gave you the story of that Adam, the Adam who saw his wife do something wrong and that God's anger and wrath was going to be poured out and that Adam says, I will be willing to die in their place, that wasn't the first Adam, that was the second one. The second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I never sinned He lived a perfect and righteous life all the way through. He followed God's law, all whatever of them, perfectly. Not only out of his actions, but his attitudes of his heart, he was perfect. He fulfilled the law perfectly for you and for me. And he lived that perfect life and he died a substitutionary death. The anger and the wrath that God wants to pour upon you or could pour upon you, Jesus says, I will take that. I'll take that for my bride. I'll die in her place. I'll bear your wrath. Let that cup pour upon me. And when he finished his work on the cross, he said, it is what? Finished. And that Christ's death provided you forgiveness of your sins. Christ's death provided you a future. Christ's death provided you a family. But Christ's death has provided you freedom. I pray today is the day that you... Stop getting distracted by the world's allurements. Focus heavily on God and let him be the one that is going to transform you from the inside out by his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. Father, all the pain and the misery that we have in this world is a byproduct of um, humanity's fall. Father, Eve was deceived, but scripture tells us Adam was rebellious. Father, many of us get deceived, but every one of us has that rebel within us. We we don't want to submit to your authority. We want to be autonomous. We don't want to see ourselves a dependent. We don't want to be dependent upon your counsel. And by doing so, we open ourselves up to being molded and shaped and changed by anything but you. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, please forgive us for doubting your word and doubting your character and doubting your authority. Please forgive us for focusing our attention and our gaze on something other than your son. Father, I pray that you would take those same three words, saw, coveted, and took, and turn them to Christ. to Help us to turn our eyes upon Jesus and to look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's some here today that desperately need to turn their gaze away from the world and towards Christ. I pray that they would do that this morning. Lord, help us to trust your word, help us to obey the one who wrote it, and help us to honor you. In Jesus' match, us, holy and powerful name we pray, amen.
1: My hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, uh, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, He will stay. sure the price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave, to this I hold my sin. has said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy
4: We come before you this morning just broken before you Lord we are so thankful that you redeemed Adam's sin and that you redeem our sin Lord you are so perfect remind us that our righteousness is as filthy rags, Father. Any good that is in us, it comes from you. Lord, may our lives fall away as we become more like you, as our lives reflect you, Father. That is our only purpose, and it's the only place joy comes from. Thank you, Lord, for using us in perfect vessels to be your reflection your precious name I pray amen